Nine. Okay, settle down. Nine. Take it easy. Nine. What the scallop? I'm Goofy Goober! Ahoy, ye landlubbers, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Goobers podcast, episode number six. It's a great day to have a great day, and my name is Zach Clint, and today we got a juicy one on tap for you. This is going to be episode number two in our series about everything auction draft. This episode will be covering how to actually approach your auction draft on draft day, including the art of nomination, bidding, and overall spending. If you're looking for formal strategies and the best way to set up an auction draft, check out our episode from last Friday as that's where we go all of that cheddar cheese. If you've ever wondered how to navigate a draft and get continuously lost during the maelstrom of bids being thrown out, let my sweet words guide you to salvation, my brothers and sisters, as you've come to the right place. You might be thinking, whoa, Nelly, this guy's just diving straight into her, but I'll actually do the old oop-de-oo on you and do some housekeeping moy moy quick before our new section, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode. I'll start off by saying that if you're paying money for your cheat sheets for auction drafts, you're doing it wrong, chief. Head on over to our website at www.fantasyfootballgoobers.com for free $200 budget redraft rankings. All of our rankings have tiers and are the only thing that I use for my drafts, so not playing favorites or anything, but I think you should use mine for your own drafts as well. Just saying. I also just added to the QB cheat sheets each QB's first three opponents for the season. The only way to play the QB position in fantasy is to stream it, so the first three weeks are what you need to look at. Either by the time this episode gets released or in about a day or two, I'd like to get each team's rankings in passing fantasy points allowed per week uh, put on the QB cheat sheets as well. So, yeah. The next thing I'll bring up is that we got a merch line that just opened up on Teespring. We got two designs, our logo and also a Viking logo that I drew about a few years back. Both I tried to price pretty low to make things affordable. As with everything uh, that we are doing this season, half of all profits made in the Teespring store are going to be sent directly to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Half of all donations will be sent directly to the Suicide Lifeline as well. I think we got links to our donation pages on our website, on our Anchor FM podcast homepage, and you could also search up at FGoobers if you're on Venmo. Everything is appreciated and nothing is ever, ever, ever expected. I truly enjoy doing this fantasy football stuffs, and just having people like you tune in warms my little heart. I actually am just starting a giveaway of sorts for people that do contribute to the podcast as of today. So if you want to wear that fresh goober's ice to be entered into the drawing, you must like and retweet the giveaway tweet I just posted here on July 24th, and then also submit a donation to either our Anchor FM or Venmo donation sites. Any amount is fine, as half of it, again, will be sent to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You possibly get decked out in goober merch, you donate to a great cause, and we all gain some friends along the way. It's a win-win-win-win. And that should do it for plugs. Let's chug-a-lug-a-lug down the track to some news. Don't think we went over this situation on last Friday's episode, but Ezekiel Elliott, running back for the Dallas Cowboys, is also planning on holding out through training camp with Melvin Gordon as they are both wanting new contracts. It's important to note that Zeke still has two years left on his contract while Melvin is going into his final year. 
going off of various articles from Joel Corey and what I could dig through on the CBSSports.com website, each day of mandatory minicamp that Gordon and Zeke miss, they can and most likely will be fined a max of $40,000. So, each week that they miss, they're going to be in the red $200,000. Miss the whole training camp, and you're looking at about a $1.5 million total uh, for that whole length of time. On top of that, each preseason game they're going to miss out, they'll be fined a game check. For Gordon, that's $1.3 million for all four preseason games, and Elliott's total for the four games will be roughly $2 million, if I'm reading all these numbers correctly. Didn't think you'd get a math lesson in numbers here today, did you, folks? Furthermore, since he is under a legally binding contract, if Zeke, in particular, willingly holds his services past the mandatory reporting date of August 6th, he cannot accrue a year on his contract, which means Zeke will still have only three years of accrued services and wouldn't be able to be a free agent until 2021. Gordon, on the other hand, is under his fifth-year option and has already accrued the four years of his rookie contract to be eligible for free agency. So a lengthy holdout could be possible, especially with the Chargers stating that they are standing packed. What does this all mean for your fantasy team? Well, unlike Le'Veon Bell, Zeke is going to have to report before August 6th. If he doesn't buy then, then he is back in the same position he is in right now next season with a considerable amount of fines tacked on. It just wouldn't make any sense at all and doesn't really scare me. Gordon, on the other hand, is starting to kind of spook me. The difference between the two situations and Bell is that Bell technically wasn't under contract with the franchise tag, as he had to approve the Steelers' offer, and the money that Bell missed out on last season was never because of fines, it just merely was what he would have made if he would have played. All of that said, I don't really have my hand over the panic button like some do, mainly on Zeke though. Zeke is still my RB2 at a price of $60, and Gordon is my RB6 at the bottom of Tier 1 for about $50 in $200 budget leagues. If you do have worries that things will get nasty, in particular with the Melvin Gordon situation, Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler would be reasonable to spend up on. Even if Gordon is back, Eckler will still see weekly flex production and is a safe $15 pickup. If Gordon starts missing preseason games, then he's pretty much off my draft boards entirely, and I would advise the same for you as well. Where things could get wet and wild, though, is if one of the backs gets traded to Tampa Bay or elsewhere. I won't get too crazy into that because there's just so many moving parts that would change, but mostly just keep in mind that that could happen and it is on the table. For me, who actually has a draft tomorrow, as of now, Zeke is still draftable in my mind, all hands on deck, but I am steering as hard right and clear as I can from Gordon, at least until I have more information on the situation. And so with that, we will close off the news section and jump on down to the girth of this episode, which will be the second part of our auction draft guide, strategies, and such. I didn't mention this in the last episode, but for my personal auction drafts, I always use an Excel spreadsheet for our draft board that shows every team, position, and each owner's budget and max bet. Ask me and I could shoot an example out on our website if there is enough demand. A further little preference I have is that for every auction draft, I recommend that you try to make it in person if you can. If you auction draft with all of your friends in the ESPN draft application, use a lot of the excitement with auction drafts. 
Being in the same room with all of your frenemies is ideal for the interaction and ways of bidding. I will say that live auction drafts do take longer than online ones, as with every other fantasy draft format that is, but drafts are a once a year sort of event, and if you're the commissioner, try to find a date that works for everyone to get everybody in person. But yeah, anyway, so a quick recap of the first episode in our auction draft guide series. My personal strategy walking into each auction draft is to fill out my starting lineup with four to five players that are in the top three tiers of their respective positions, and then load up my bench with $1 and $5 upside picks that can be easily dropped and replaced after week one on the waiver wire if they don't show that they have the opportunity to succeed that I initially thought they would. Now, those four to five players don't have to all be your Saquon, Zeeks, and DeAndre Hopkins. They can be if you want to bool out a little bit, but I tend to try and target those fringe tier 1 players or tier 2 and tier 3 guys that have top 5 upside at their respective position for the season. This is very subjective, but for me I loved Gordon and CMC last season, and this season it's Joe Mixon and Delvin Cook I'm targeting as those fringe tier 1 running backs. If you love and are comfortable with James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Nick Chubb, or Devonta Freeman, then those are also some guys that fit into that category. I recommend to target these guys because, intuitively, they are cheaper than those Tier 1 guys and might arguably have the same upside. It all just depends on who you personally believe in. As they say, I can lead you horses to the water, but I can't make you drink. I guess to make this as simple to understand as possible, I'll just take you through an auction draft and the various situations that could arise. So, for auction drafts, unlike snake drafts, players are nominated rather than selected. Where the 101 would generally select Saquon with their pick and he gets to join their roster in snake drafts, if the 101 nominates Saquon, he also must attach that name with a starting bid. I say that you never, 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 ever, never nominate players you actually want in the first few rounds of nominations. Always, always, always have others nominate your players that you like and then bid on them as you typically would. The way that I view the rest of my home leagues is that if you nominate a player, I am assuming that you love that player, a la Cameron in my home league who I know loves David Johnson. First time I met him while we were both studying abroad in Ireland, he was wearing a David Johnson jersey, so like the arse I am, I bid him up to $62 last year to make him pay that premium price. Always keep in mind that you always, always, always want to try and get a value on players for yourself, and you always want to make everyone else make sure that they pay at cost or at a premium for their players. While I don't necessarily want Melvin Gordon this year, I'll still be bidding on him to make sure that he's going for the most amount of money possible to another team. Whenever I'm up to nominate players in the first two to four rounds, they're usually guys that I'm lower on or maybe wouldn't mind getting out of value, but could do without, like a Todd Gurley or Leonard Fournette. Auction draft nominations generally follow snake draft ADP to a T, but are un poco more prone to runs. It isn't uncommon that the top 10 running backs all go in a row with Hopkins, Kelsey, or Adams sprinkled in there. But, uh, yeah, maybe a few other guys get nominated two or three rounds early like Adam Thielen did last year in our home league, but uh, that really shouldn't change your draft approach unless, like, five or more mid-tier players start going in the first two rounds. If you are someone that throws a kicker or defense out there as a nomination within the first three rounds for lulls, let me be the first to tell you that you are a dingus. 
When I nominate a player, I also try to set that initial bid just about below where I think a player would be considered a quote-unquote value. For example, if you're a Derrick Henry truther like the Ball Blastum podcast, you might want to plug your ears, but Henry is going for around $25 in auction drafts this fine late summer. For a guy that rushed for 55% of his total yards in the last five weeks of the season while playing a full 16 games, mind you, doesn't catch passes at all for PPR leagues, has Marcus Mariota as his starting quarterback, and is a part of a Tennessee offense that was bottom six in scoring in 2018 with a hearty 19.4 points per game, $25 is just a little too steep for me to buy into. If I'm in the third round of nominations and Derrick Henry is still on the board to be nominated, I'm throwing him out into the feeding frenzy at a starting bid of, let's say, $15 and watching as people bid him up to right around that $25 to $35 range. There's bound to be a truther for every player you nominate in a draft. As they say, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Unless it's Derrick Henry, then he's probably still an inefficient fantasy running back that's bound to regress piece of trash. So, you're going through the first two rounds and guys that you love in Tier 1 are currently being bid up for $60 plus. What should you do? Don't get me wrong, I love Chris McCaffrey as much as the next guy, but at a certain point you have to know when to bite your tongue, swallow your pride, and move on to the next player down your list. However, if you are 100% sold on guys this year, paying a premium on a player isn't too outlandish if you can bear that cost. How much money over the recommended player's cap is too much? For $200 leagues, I would say that $5 is where I start to taper off. If someone wants to spend $70 on Christian McCaffrey, sure, okay, that's way too sweet for my blood. You can have him. If I miss out on those top-tier guys that I'm trying to target, I try to make sure to get one of those second-tier backs and pair him with possibly another RB of equal stature or value, say James Conner and Le'Veon Bell. But again, those players can change based upon who you are more high on. You always have to be prepared to shift in your player targets. I recommend that you look through, hopefully my, cheat sheets and just highlight players you are looking at and make notes. Actively attack your draft and make sure your backup plan players have a backup plan. I couldn't care less how many views this episode gets, so hopefully none of my league mates are listening into this episode. If you guys are, uh, please skip ahead like uh, about a minute or two. But anyways, just as an example, I have about two to three players in each RB and wide receiver tier I plan on targeting and how much I personally am willing to spend. The number is advised by the suggested values of my rankings and also how that number fits into my planned budget allocations I have for each position. Shaboy here is looking to spend about $110 on the running back position, $75 on the wide receiver position, and the remaining 15 or so dollars will find their way to my tight end and quarterback position. So, for example, my ideal running back core of Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Sony Michelle, and Austin Eckler should all add up to around that $110 mark, which going off of my rankings values does. The next level strat I try to partake in and what I kind of recommend for you as well is to have your whole draft mapped out and actually add your ideal rosters, players, values up pre-draft and see if they all add up to around that coveted $200 mark. I'm of the belief that filling out your starting roster should take up about 95 plus percent of your total budget, with about 2 to $3 allocated to each bench spot. So, 
If you have eight bench spots, plan for about $16 or $20 to go to your bench, and then your starting lineups, players' values, including flexes, should add up to about $175 to $180 total. I know that this opinion can differ between people, but if you spend $20 on Tyler Lockett in drafts, and he's looking like he will be a rotational player from your bench, if the wide receiver that's slotted to be your wide receiver 2 is drafted for $30, you'll have essentially two good but not great options at wideout. If you combine those prices between the two wide receivers in this example, you could instead afford an elite $50 wide receiver. Now, I'm not here to yuck your yums, but I'd rather have Juju Smith-Schuster for $50 in my starting roster than $30 and $20 broken up between my bench and wide receiver 2 spot. Having a filled up starting lineup just makes it that much easier for you to know who to start weeks 1 and 2 and so on, barring injury. Another thing that you should do is that you should always use up all of your $200 budget. I have yet to hear of an auction league that lets you do anything with leftover draft money, and I'm sure I never will. If you have $17 left over by the end of your draft, that's just wasted draft capital. It's $17 that you could have used to spend on another elite running back option to put in your flex position, or that 17 extra dollars that you could have used to go just the extra few steps to grab Julio Jones earlier in the draft. It goes along the line of mapping out your draft so you know just how much you plan to spend and where. If you start getting your running back 2 or wide receiver 2 that you've been targeting for $5 cheaper during the draft, add that $5 that you just saved to your planned flex or tight end position as the draft progresses. So now, instead of, while a great option in and of himself, settling for Austin Hooper at $10, now you might be able to stretch your spending a little more and afford a Vance McDonald for $15, who I also like just a teensy bit more than Hooper this year. As I hinted before, I recommend to scribble some notes around your cheat sheets on things you want to keep in mind. Now, you don't have to try and summon a demon by writing all sorts of paragraphs and hieroglyphs, but just the little things that you want to remember for some players that stick out to you. For example, in my keeper league I'm going to be drafting here tomorrow, I'm keeping Devontae Adams, so I made a little notes by Marquez Valdez-Scantling that I'm trying to look to pair him with Adams to lock up that Packers wide receiver core. I'm an unreasonably spiteful person when it comes to fantasy, so the owner who kept my boo Dalvin Cook for $52 which in and of itself is quite high, I have a note marked up by Alexander Madison to bid him up, bid him up, bid him up, and make sure Madison doesn't go for anything less than $10. While I do like all the Tier 1 guys that are available to draft in that Keeper League this year, I also made a note to make it my duty that no Tier 1 back goes for anything less than $55. This falls into another discussion topic of bidding, you might think, oh, there can't be too much to bidding. You just keep shouting out numbers until you eventually say the highest price and everyone else around you stops. That way of primitive thinking isn't what will lead you to conquer your home drafts. Dare I say, bidding is an art form. <gasps> Getting in on bidding, even when it's just for the early prices, is recommended, in my opinion, as it always keeps you engaged. Part of the reason why I don't do snake drafts as much anymore is because I'm just not a fan of being on the turn and waiting two hours late to, between each pick. Even if you don't want the player, hopping in on the bidding war at safe prices that you won't get him dropped on you for only adds to the confusion, excitement, and thrill of the auction for the players that actually do want him. Get to know your league and their bidding techniques. 
If you know a guy loves Patty Mahomes in your leagues, and let's be honest, who doesn't unless you're a Chargers, Broncos, or Raiders fan, of course. But if you know this particular guy will do almost anything on this earth short of sacrificing his firstborn to get him on their team, make sure he pays a few extra bucks. It might seem like a small thing, but utilize the last second bids with about 10 seconds of pause between each response. If his bid for Mahomes is at $35, make it excruciating for him and wait until the going once, going twice, and then go $36 for your bid. 99% of the time that guy is going to go the extra $2 to get his guy. Don't get it twisted as there are some inherent risks when doing this as you could get a player dropped on you if other guys start to catch on to what you're doing. Also, if you start scumming other owners too often, they could start making you pay that extra 2 to $4 for guys that you want. As with anything that brings enjoyment in life, use moderation when using this strategy. Bringing it back to go through an actual draft step-by-step, step, we already went over how to approach the beginning of a draft, among other things, but the middle and late part of a draft is where you can seriously kick your roster into maximum overdrive. Everyone knows that Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and Damian Williams are going to give you weekly production, but not everyone knows where to look for the cheapo guys that could provide sparks to your bench for $1 to $5. In the middle of drafts, I still recommend, like with the first forest rounds, to not nominate players that you are targeting. If you plan on utilizing my strategy of locking in those four to five bona fide starting players, you'll be spending a lot of the middle of the draft watching and throwing out random bids here and there to make other owners whittle the remaining budgets down to your level. And I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Just make sure you keep in mind those players that you plan on targeting, and with that $20 to $30 remaining you got after getting two starting running backs and two starting wide receivers, you try to lock in that flex spot. In the middle of drafts is when you might start looking for a cheap tight end as well, so just kind of be on the lookout for values as you go along. The end of the draft is where you make the magic happen, so to say. To fill out your remaining bench spots, you're looking to spend a max of $3 to $5 per spot. Here it is okay, finally, to nominate guys you are targeting. You can make it seem like you're saying, oh yeah, might as well just yeet Kenny Stills on my roster, whatever, on the outside, but deep down, you know you just stacked another lottery ticket at the potential for a weekly boom-bust flex option for $3. Speaking more towards home leagues rather than leagues containing experts in the industry, but if your preparation is good enough, a lot of the $1 guys you target could be obscure enough in the eyes of your league mates. While everyone else looks at the old tried-and-true bench fillers and Theo Riddick, Danny Amendola, and Emmanuel Sanders, who have limited weekly upside and not nearly as high of a ceiling as they once had, you should be looking at the Reichwell Armsteads, Justice Hills, and John Browns who have sky-high ceilings if their circumstances all fall their way. If those circumstances all don't fall their way, like I said in my last episode, all of these bench spots should be expendable as after week one when you get a sense of who this year's Philip Lindsay, George Kill, and Tyler Boyds are, as offensive situations make themselves more clear, you can spread a mass exodus across your bench to make more room for those guys who show a little more spazazz, so to say, when week one concludes. If you find out that, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick has lost a step in Miami after eating all that cake this offseason and just flat out can't get Kenny Stills the ball anymore, boom, dump his arse like a bad girl or boyfriend for someone who will treat you right. The end of the draft is also where I live and die drafting quarterbacks. 
If they ain't coming cheap, I don't want them. Nick Foles, Dak Prescott, and Derek Carr, while their names might draw upon visions of disgust and anguish, for $5 in their situations this year, they're looking mighty fine in my opinion, especially with their first three weeks opponents. Rounding third and headed for home, we will close this episode out with more specific questions on auction leagues that y'all had. On the old tweeter machine, Logan's Heroes asks us what we think about potentially giving the consolation winner team $10 extra to next year's draft to keep the league more competitive. To that question, I say, eh, that could be a slippery slope. Personally, I would just reward the consolation winner with, like, about half of their buy-in if you wanted to give the bottom team something to play for. Not that I'm not for keeping the league competitive all the way throughout the season, but to give someone 10 extra dollars for being meh isn't something I'm totally for. I'd maybe argue instead to give 5 to $10 extra fab for the next season to the consolation winner to give them that extra oomph mid-season to get over the hump. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts on that question. Ooh, that uh, reminds me, if you're in auction leagues, uh, what I would recommend looking into is to implement some sort of keeper system. What has worked super well for us in our home leagues is that we allow owners three keepers from your final rosters the week before playoffs that can be kept for 20% extra of whatever price is more. The draft price they got the player for or the free agent pickup price they got him for. In a $200 auction budget league, say you draft Will Fuller for $10 last season and he was still on your roster by the end of the year. To keep him, you'd pay $12. Now, say if Will Fuller was drafted for $10, and then you dropped him to the waivers and someone spent $20 of their free agent budget to add him, for that other owner to keep them, they would have to pay $24 for Will Fuller. We found that the 20% is a nice number that produces prices that make it difficult to keep someone in the next year if they already paid a max value on them the previous year. Last year, Le'Veon Bell went for $59 in our home league, and no matter where he ended up, if someone wanted to keep him for this season, the $72 would make any thoughts along those lines pretty irrational. In my leagues, I also try to advocate that any move you could make, you should be allowed to make. If someone wants to add $5 of fab or $10 of their next season's draft budget to their trade offer, go ahead. That should totally be allowed. The more restrictions you put on the league, the less amount of fun you're allowing in my opinion. There should be a cap on how much you are able to add to a trade, however. For free agent budget and next season's draft budget, we put a cap on the total amount you are allowed to add to trades throughout the season at $15. You don't want someone trusting the process and punting away one season for the next. While we're sprechen sie Deutsch on keepers, Zach R on Twitter asked a good question as well that was along the lines of how I adjust players' values in keeper leagues as most players are being kept for a cheaper price than usual. To that, I don't really change them that much. If anything, I view the approximate max player values on my cheat sheets as more of a comfortable medium value rather than that top price. Tiers, like I have in my rankings on my website, come in so clutch in situations like this, because a player like Sammy Watkins, who I have at the bottom of my tier four of wide receivers, which has a price range of 10 to $20, in leagues with zero keepers, Sammy is comfortably sitting more towards that $10 range, especially after the Tyreek Hill news coming back that he will be suspended for zero games. However, 
In leagues with keepers, Scrammy Watkins might end up pushing more towards that $20 side of that Tier 4 price range as owners have more money to spend throughout the league. I've got James Conner as a keeper for $5, so top-end wide receivers like DeAndre Hopkins are probably going to be bid up to about $60 easy on my end because I'm essentially saving $30 on my Conner. Good questions, good questions. All right, I think I've covered all of my bases, or at least everything that I could think of, plus what everyone has sent me on Twitter over the past week or so uh, when I asked for what some people have questions on. If you have any more questions, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FGoobers and send us any and all things fantasy football. If you want to toss in a few tidbits about Marvel video games and anything else, uh, I'm down to chat your ear off on that as well. Just know that I'm here for you and I love y'all 3,000. I try to answer every tweet that comes my way on Twitter or through email, and if you happen to slip through the cracks, just know that it's not personal at all. I work a job that either has me on the night shift or on the morning shift, and half the time I'm just running around with my head chopped off. So if I don't reply, it's probably because I'm out rescuing one of our sailboats at the resort, or because I just got done swimming around in the lake with the resort's kids after I filled in with the rec department and I'm just dead AF at the end of the day. Just know that I was once a smaller account grinding my teeth with less than 100 followers as well, so I do know the feels. I'm always down to promote others' works if I feel that it adds to my brand as well. Looking forward, I'll see if I can release an episode this coming Friday as I'll be having my first redraft $200 auction draft this Thursday night. Uh, so I'll make sure to post the Excel sheet on our Twitter page and website so you can all get a sense of what some players might fetch in a league full of guys who are uh, at least moderately competent at drafting. Besides the one guy that's keeping Todd Gurley for $70, but we don't talk about that. But yeah, keep your eyes open for that and more updates will follow. So hopefully you all enjoyed your listen here. My name has been Zach Clint and I will catch you on the next episode. Goodbye. Yeah, we're goofy, goodbye.